I'm Sharon Cook, Director of Mercia Group, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Jenny Faulkner, previously our Head of Technical Manuals, now Head of our FAR Review Division. And Jenny's joined me today to talk about the new draft standard on the audit of less complex entities. Hi, Sharon. Thank you for joining today. I just wonder if you can uh, tell us a bit about the draft standard. So perhaps a bit of a quick overview of what the draft standard is about. Yeah, absolutely, Sharon. Um, So it's really, really important and I think interesting standard. Um, There's been discussions around this draft standard for a number of years at the international level. Um, So just to be clear, it is a draft standard. It is at the international level. So nothing as out yet is happening in the UK. But what we've seen over certainly the last five to 10 years is really um, the full auditing standards becoming more and more complex. And for, let's say, the smaller end of the audit market, it's becoming much more challenging for them to have to um, adhere to all of the requirements within the full suite of the international standards of auditing as they've become more and more complex. Um, So what we have at the international level is a drafting of what is, in short, a shorter standard for auditing. Uh, So it should really, really be seen as a positive step forward within the audit profession. But it has had some challenges along the way. Thank you. That does sound really exciting for the audit sector and Mercia's uh, client base. Of course, we work with audit practitioners of all sizes, really. So in terms of the impact on Mercia's client base, so the auditors of all sorts of sizes, When do you think um, we potentially could start seeing a change and what do you think that impact would be? There's lots of what if type responses to that, Sharon. Um, So as I've mentioned, it is at a draft level. It is at the international level at the moment. Um, There was a recent ICAW panel last week, actually, um, where Mark Babington from the FRC, uh, alongside some IAASB, so the people who have written the draft standard, uh, were on a panel and were posed a number of questions. The FRC, it was fair to say, perhaps were alluding to the fact that they may not be as positive as perhaps the likes of ICAEW, ICAS, ACCAR within the UK. So I think it is important to recognise that there could be a bit of a challenge in relation to getting this standard actually working in the UK. But notwithstanding that, um, this this is a really, really important standard because what we're going to see is hopefully a large variety, a large majority of Mercia clients being able to use a standard which will make their audit quality still just as good as it is. Okay, that's really, really important to recognize that the concept of this standard is not to diminish audit quality. And in fact, that was one of the key comments that have come out of the um, panel discussions that we've heard of recently. Audit quality must remain high and it should not 
be purely looking to reduce the amount of work that an auditor does. But at the same time, what we're trying, what, what they're trying to do is to reflect the fact that there should be scalability within what is required when doing an audit. And I think that's something that's really, really important. And all of our users would thoroughly understand and, you know, wholeheartedly agree with. So this is addressing aspects such as in the current auditing standards, there might be areas of requirement that all audit firms have to adhere to. But for some smaller audits, they're really not that relevant. Yet the auditors having to go through these processes and document these processes that perhaps are not required? Is that the sort of thing? It's really interesting because I, I'm smiling whilst I answer this question <laughs> because I've been involved um, for the last f probably five years in the development, um, not necessarily at the international level, but uh, through various working groups. Um, I actually went to the Paris conference a number of years ago in order to try and get small practitioners' views across um, to the IAASB. Um, the, the reason that I'm smiling then is initially it wasn't clear how we could help um, audit firms when they're dealing with audits of, of less complex entities. And there were different viewpoints as to how it could be dealt with. And one of the viewpoints was, well, if the ISAs were written the right way the first time, and had a building block approach, then perhaps we wouldn't actually need a separate standard. Um, now, unfortunately, the ISAs are written how they are, and it's very difficult to unravel what's been happening over perhaps the last five to 10 years where more complexity has been added. Um, so what, what we're seeing there is uh, the international uh, approach saying, okay, we've got the international standards in full now. Let's kind of leave them alone. Then th that's not actually quite true. They, they have another project going on in the background. It's called CUSP, and it's looking at trying to make them much more readable, um, much more understandable. Um, so that's really quite an interesting separate exercise. But they said, what we'll do for audits of less complex entities is basically take the full suite of standards and try and pull it together in a manner that is easier to understand. And what they've done is basically almost built a methodology, um, such as the one Mercia has, which walks through an audit from beginning to end. Um, now, in relation to the requirements, what they have done is a very, very, very detailed mapping exercise to say, here are the requirements in the full ISAs, Here's how they've ended up or not ended up in this new draft standard. Now, here's where some practitioners might be a little bit disillusioned because at the moment, but to be clear, this is a, a draft standard perspective, which means it's out for consultation. That means that the likes of Joe Bloggs audit firm can comment and raise their points specifically to IAASB um, 
then there could be change here. But at the moment, the majority of requirements are directly mapping. So they've made an improvement regarding um, terminology, how something, how the standards are written, but most of the requirements are mapped. Now, there are some clear areas where they, they don't map because um, they don't need to map. So at the moment, if there are considerations for listed entities within the standard, then they don't come through because the scope of the standard is very clear in that if it's a listed entity, it will not be deemed less complex and therefore can't be used. Um, sitting on the Institute Working Group, what we're hoping to challenge with our comments back to IAASB is actually it's it's helpful that you've done this mapping exercise that's absolutely great um, but we would like to take it a little bit further okay and a classic example here is ISA 315 now auditors we we all know ISA 315 understanding the entity understanding the environment it's what drives the risk assessment. So it's the crucial part of planning the audit. And at the moment, that is predominantly mapped requirement by requirement from full ISAs into this new draft standard. And actually, there's probably quite a few areas where that could be watered down, in particular around controls and potentially around design and implementation of controls. Um, so I, I've certainly been working with the Institute um, alongside a number of other people in order to try and drive out where we feel the standard could actually go further um, because it is draft and they, the IAASB are seeking our views as a profession as to whether it's any good, what can they do to improve it? Are people going to use it? So it's really, really important that people feed back into this process. And I don't think I've mentioned it yet, but the consultations open until the end of January next year. Great. So it's really, really important right now. It's a give this feedback, get involved, because this has the opportunity to create something great, but we've got to speak up and uh, make those points. And what you've just said around ISA 315, Really interesting. I know there's auditors that are doing substantive audits. The amount of work on those internal controls at the start, that's been a bugbear for some time. So uh, if there's movement on that, that type of discussion, really, really important to uh, get out in front of it. And really just to clarify, it's not looking to take, you know, my viewpoint is not looking to take out ISA 315. I fully support a risk assessment based audit. I fully support that audit firms should have an understanding of internal control because that's how they're going to be able to find the risks, design their approach, etc. Um, but there are there are aspects where the requirements perhaps aren't really that very well suited to audits of less complex entities. Um, and I would like the IAASB to be considering whether there are some amendments that they can take in particular to that area. It's, it's an interesting point. Now, we've talked a lot now about this phrase, less complex entities. Can you tell us any more about the scope? So what does the IAASB consider to be less complex 
Are there any thresholds, any definitions we can refer to? Yeah. So this is one of the um, areas that, again, the IAA has been really looking for quite a lot of feedback on um, and certainly is a very good discussion point. I think it's really important to recognise that um, certainly in the UK, what we often do is we if we approve international standards, then we quite often amend them um, for our own jurisdiction, whether that be from a company law perspective or a best practice perspective, we do often make some amendments. We, we try and keep them to a minimum, um, but it's something that we've always had here in the UK. And I would expect that to continue. Okay. So the IAASB are, are very clear that, you know, they're trying to write something globally, internationally, and therefore they've been nervous around putting in quantitative aspects because dependent on jurisdictions, it might work in one jurisdiction, but doesn't work in another. Um, so what they've done at present is basically defined the scope to have what I would consider two broad limitations. Um, and the first one is to say there are some specific classes of entities for which this draft standard are not suitable and therefore they're prohibited. OK, so that's nice and clear cut. And what falls into that category? Well, if there is something in law or regulation within that jurisdiction, which prohibits the use of the standard, then it prohibits it. And you can't go over and above that. You can't change that. The specific ones then that the IAASB have integrated are around whether the entity is listed. So I mentioned that one earlier, actually. And whether the entity displays, the words they use are, are public interest characteristics. Now, I think that's a very, very interesting one because very much open to interpretation. And that could be something that um, gets developed. Now, there is a little bit of a confusion, I think, sometimes, even in the UK, around public interest and what that means and what's a pie and et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the UK, public interest entity, I just want to be you know, very, very clear that that would not include a charity. A charity is not a public interest entity, but doesn't include public interest characteristics. It, it could potentially. So, you know, we've got to be careful around some of these areas. Um, again, they're not, it's a draft standard. They are open for comment. And that's really what the, you know, the purpose of such a long consultation period is. I mean, th this is going to, in effect, be, I think it's six months consultation period. That's a really, really long time um, for such a standard. The final category then is perhaps the most controversial one in the prohibition, which is around group audits. Um, so, at the moment, the way this draft standard works is to say, if, if, if you're dealing with the consolidation, the group accounts, and you're doing the audit of them, then you're prohibited. And the, the underlying reason behind that is um, that the IAASB feel that groups have inherent qualitative considerations, which would be complex. 
I wholeheartedly disagree with that as a starting point. Um, and I think it's fair to say in the UK, certainly of the people who I've spoken to and um, friends and, and, and workers at the Institute, I think we're all very much aligned to the fact that we don't think this is suitable because, you know, you take a charity audit, um, you we've got a much lower level of audit, I suppose, threshold, uh, audit exemption threshold on, on charities. It's, it's a million pounds if we're, if we're dealing with England and Wales. That's very, very low co in comparison to the, the corporate sector. And actually what we can end up with in charity structures is a charity with a trading subsidiary that's set up really more for tax reasons than anything else. And, you know, the only reason that it's a group is for tax purposes. It's not because of how it functions. Is that a complex group? I mean, obviously, it might potentially be, but I think a large proportion out there perhaps aren't. Um, and to absolutely prohibit the use of that, you know, the use of the standard for that type of entity, it, it would have a significant impact to the to the audit market, I think. Um, now, the IAASB are, are clear that it's open for consultation. They want comments. They were, they say, expecting lots of uh, grumblings around the prohibition of groups. Um, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that they are listening on groups. And I think what was interesting listening to some of their comments last week was they weren't, they categorically were not saying, well, it's out, it's staying out. In fact, they were trying to be much more nuanced around it and were trying to proactively understand how they could bring it in. So if we bring it in, should all groups be included? What about component auditors? Perhaps we could use that as a threshold. Um, if you use component auditors, then that's more complex and therefore that should be excluded. But if you're auditing the parent and all the subsidiaries, then that's much simpler and therefore that could be included. That was a suggestion. Um, again, my, my personal view, I, d I don't actually like that. Um, I personally think that you can still have very, very simple organisations which have a component auditor for another reason. Um, and my personal point of view would be actually to use what I consider to be the second element of the scope. Um, so the second element of the scope says, okay, if you've passed the test where you're not prohibited to use it, then the second thing that you have to look at is the qualitative considerations, i.e. is it complex? And actually, I think on a group level, that would be sensible to do. Um, so is the, com is the group complex? <laughs> Just like you would go through is the entity complex? So what do they do? How many different divisions do they have? What are their business streams? What market are they in? They're all of the, they're actually all of the sort of considerations that audit firms are probably used to thinking about when they used to deal with practice note 26, which was a practice note we had for many years, which many audit firms found particularly helpful 
around small audit documentation. Now, they used to call it small audit there, but in essence, a lot of what was used as, as qualitative considerations is being driven into the less complex entity standard as well. That's really, really interesting. I, I feel like I talked for a long time then, just to kind of bring that together for the scoping, there's two elements. There's those that are prohibited and there are those which are, you know, thinking about the complexity um, and there's indicators, I suppose, that need to be considered as to whether uh, the it's a less complex entity. And I'm sure referring back to your previous role of head of technical manuals, you can feel a checklist coming on here. <laughs> well, I would like to say we love a checklist at Mercia. Um, I, I, I actually don't like checklists, if, if I would go down a personal opinion. Um, I say on, on many work-related calls, a checklist does, I'm not even sure half the job, okay, Audit quality is the most important part. And actually, I think, you know, audit methodology can have checklist after checklist to help ensure compliance with the requirements. And absolutely, it has its place and it needs to be there. But audit quality is driven through culture. Um, and that's the important part. And that's the bit that we kind of need to remember. So you're absolutely right that I'm sure a checklist would be generated for something like that. Um, but understanding why the checklist is required and, and understanding those nuances around complexity would be more important. Um, it isn't a case of you've got one of the um, criteria or indicators, therefore it's not you know, it, it can't use the standard. It does say that it's much more nuanced than that. Um, so there, there, there is quite a degree of judgment that will be used within that particular area. And I know for some, that can be a worry because if you get that judgment wrong and you're regulated by the QAD, ACCA, the FRC, whoever it may be, if they disagree then you've, you've got a bit of a problem, shall we say. Is there, is there the possibility that judgment could change during the course of an audit as well? So something you assessed as less complex at the start, you might get into it and think, oh, or vice versa. Potentially, um, and we've debated this at length, where most of us feel that in the majority of situations, a good auditor would have spotted anything that changes during the audit. So you would hope in the majority of situations that you would spot it early enough. Um, but yes, of course, there, there could be things that evolve throughout the audit, which could change the scoping. And that then leads to the question, can I still use the standard? And the answer is probably no, you shouldn't be using the standard. How are you going to transition? It's a challenging question. And I think it, the honest answer will be it depends. And it de will depend how closely aligned this, this draft standard ends up being to the full suite of ISAs. Because actually, if all the requirements are pretty much mapped between the two, is there really a question of transition? No, probably not. Um, but 
it's certainly an area that we need to have an eagle eye on as uh, as the standard develops. So we've talked a bit here about planning audits. There we were talking about audit fieldwork. When we start fast forwarding to the end of the audit, do you envisage this standard changing the audit reports that those using the standard would attach to the financial statements in question? So um, it's it's a really good question. The way that it's been written is that you would end up referring to the standard around less complex audits um, rather than the full suite of auditing standards. Now, there's been lots of discussions around whether that leads to a two-tier audit profession. Um, Personally, I think we already have a two-tier audit profession, um, so I'm I'm less convinced on that argument. I think what certain audit firms have found challenging on this is if pretty much all of the requirements are mapped, why can we not say we're applying the full suite of standards? Um, And the IAASB is is very clear on this one in that they feel as it is a standalone standard, it must refer to itself within the audit report. Um, And again, this, this is another area which has generated a lot of discussion, the fact that it's standalone. Because at the moment, if you have an area which isn't dealt with within this new draft standard, then what it doesn't do is tell you to go look at the full suite of auditing standards. Now, I think, I hope, 99% of audit firms would would do that as a starting point. Um, But again, it's an area that IAASB are being challenged on, um, should they have a statement in there, kind of akin to what we have within our financial reporting framework. Um, because FRS 102 does say, you know, if we're silent on something, you can go look at IFRS. It, it's kind of got that ability to do that. Whereas this has, hasn't been drafted in that way. Um, it doesn't tell you to do it. It doesn't tell you you can't do it, but it's not telling you to do it. And how that would interact with um, regulators is quite an interesting question. And, and one we perhaps don't have the answer to at the moment. <laughs> I was going to say there's a lot to be uh, pulled out over the coming months, and particularly while this uh, commentary period is open until the end of January. Just to wrap up our little session today, I wondered um, if you can share anything further you and the wider Mercia are doing between now and the end of January to continue contributing to the future of this initiative. Absolutely. So as I've mentioned, I've personally sat on the working group with the Institute. Um, We are pulling together at the Institute level a response, um, which we hope incorporates many people's views. Um, We're talking about this draft standard on all of our courses. We've written some blogs on our website. Um, One thing that, you know, I'm very keen to um, encourage is firms to respond Um, it is something that could change the audit profession and it could change it for the better, but we need to be the drivers of that. It's basically in our own hands as the audit profession. So if you are interested, then we will be putting up another blog (laughs) quite shortly up on our website. And 
IFAC, so this is an organisation at the international level who work very closely with IAASB, um, have actually produced a survey specifically to help smaller firms provide feedback. Um, so my next blog that I will put up in, in the coming week will have a link to that so firms can easily give feedback rather than going down the formal individual feedback that perhaps um, auditing standards are used to. They're trying to uh, widen the widen the basis of those who are responding. Um, and we're actively trying to encourage firms um, to, to get those responses in. Jenny, that is fantastic. Thank you so much for the summary for the blogs that have happened uh, so far. And we'll be looking out for this blog that's coming over the coming weeks. And just to echo Jenny's comment there, let's let's all get involved at this stage and we're being asked for our opinion. This does affect the future of our audit uh, profession. Let's, uh, let's make sure our voices are heard. Thanks for listening. See you soon.